please this morning turn to 1 Timothy in chapter number 6. 1 Timothy in chapter number 6. It's good to be with God's people this morning and thank you faithful members and thank you those who recently started attending. We're honored to have you back again today. Those who are brand new, we welcome you this morning. I've always believed that uh, if the the preacher, whoever he is, will walk with God and pray that the Lord will give him uh, something from the Word of God for his people. And this group that's gathered this morning is unique. Now, many of you will be back again. I hope all of you will be back again, but many of you will be back again. But this particular group will never gather again exactly like this. There will be someone else with us or someone absent. And so truly, this particular group, this will be it. Which means I believe that God has something for each person in the room today. Amen? And I want you to approach this message with an open mind and an open heart. And listen carefully to the Word of God. This is an important message this morning. Every one of them is important. But I believe this is an important message. And we're going to touch on some, I believe, some confusion that's in Christian circles today. And uh, we're going to do this on a Sunday morning. Uh, So I need you to... uh, um, I need you to fasten your seatbelt. Amen. All right. And put your feelings away and don't wear them on your sleeve for the next few minutes. First Timothy chapter six. Stand with me, please, for the reading of the word of God. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me, if you would, and comment just a little bit as we go through and we'll come to our text in a handful of verses. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. Let me give you a little paraphrase there. It doesn't matter if your boss is a heathen or if, you're, if your boss is a deacon. You ought to work hard. You ought to treat him well, not complain how you get treated. You be the testimony you ought to be for the glory of God. That's what he's saying. And it's, it's in vogue. It's fashionable. It's commonplace for us to gripe and complain in this day, and that does not honor God. God may give you a better opportunity. There's nothing wrong with looking at a better opportunity. But for you to gripe and complain and destroy what someone else is building is not right. Read the Old Testament and look how God dealt with his people when it came to murmuring and complaining. Amen? Now verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. Knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. (laughs) That's not the crowd to run with right there. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Read verse 8 with me. And having food and raiment let us therewith 
Let us, let's try it again. Pastor messed up. Would you try it one more time? Verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. Mistaken godliness. Mistaken godliness. We read a phrase in verse number 5 near the end of the verse that says, Supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Supposing that gain is godliness. I want to speak to you on that subject this morning. Mistaken godliness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for the privilege to stand once more with thy precious word. To speak to thy precious people. I want, Lord, to help. I want to encourage. I want thy people to be strengthened. If there's someone here, Lord, who is not born again, does not know Christ as Savior... I pray thy Holy Spirit will convict and draw them to yourself that they could know the joy of salvation and assurance of eternal life in heaven. Those, Lord, who are wrestling and confused and uncertain, I pray that you'll make things crystal clear to them this day. And may, uh, may souls be saved. May uh, God's people be strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Supposing that gain is godliness i uh i remember in in bible college i ran a pickup and delivery route for a while and uh i was i had an inside delivery at a home a, a private residence in an area of the city of chicago it was very beautiful large homes uh very affluent area probably you would describe it as such and uh, I, I think it was some furniture or something but anyway so I uh, uh, helped the, the owner there get it into the house it was inside delivery and uh, when when we got done uh, he said you know who owns the house next door I said no I didn't look at it. it was a big beautiful house and of course they're in the city and they're stacked right on top of each other but it's a big beautiful house he said, that house belongs to Hugh Hefner. And he said, uh, look, you see the brass plaque on the door, uh, uh, on the, by the door there, it says the Hefner house. He said, would you like to see inside? I was like, sure, I guess. <laughs> he knew where the key was in the potted plant, I guess, or wherever. I don't remember how he got access, but anyway, I won't tell that part of it. But no, uh, but anyway, but um, the house was empty, but, uh, but anyway, we went in and it was quite impressive, and um, uh, we went in. There's a big room that you might describe a ballroom, probably. I don't know, probably uh, uh, not as big as this section, but not far from it. Uh, big room, and and he went over to a panel, hit some buttons, and the wood wood panels turned, flipped this way, and things flipped on the ceilings, and the chandelier lowered down, and. And there were mirrors everywhere, and, and it kind of transformed into a dance hall, and, and we danced. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 anyway, uh, so I, I guess you know, I guess that's impressive. If whatever you got money, you don't know what to do with, you can put some buttons on the wall and make anyway. But um, and then uh, uh, there was a, a swimming pool inside the house, and and um, anyway, a lot of evidence of uh, of um, debauchery. <laughs> You can imagine what the Hugh Hefner house was used for. And um, I remember leaving out of there and thinking, you know, 
You know, I'm sure there's been a lot of glitz and a lot of glamour and a lot of uh, uh, sinful pleasure. And there is pleasure in sin. The Bible says so itself. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But you got to wake up the next morning. You try to drink your sorrows away, they grow during the night. And you wake up the next morning. There's pleasure in sin for a little while. Then reality sets in and sin always complicates life. Sin always complicates life. And, um, and I thought, you know, here's a man extremely successful, as the world calls success, very wealthy. But there's no joy, there's no happiness. Later on, we would read down in our text. We didn't read that far, but verse number 10 is a very familiar verse. He said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil, but the love of money is. Your heart tied to money, affection for money. It, it gets you in a world of hurt. You start thinking about every evil of the day. There's just horrible, horrible things happening in our own society. Human beings being trafficked and and, and, and drugs are just destroying lives and destroying homes and destroying families. And pornography is as pervasive as water just about. What's behind all that? Somebody's making a buck. The corruption that we see on the political scene, the, the, the profound corruption that's right in your face. What's behind all that? A dollar bill. The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. But the Bible says here in a, in, a, in, a, in a twisted philosophy that there were those who were proud, who doted on questions and strifes. They loved to argue. I'm in verse 4. They were filled with envy and wanted what other people had. And uh, strive railings, evil surmisings, and um, perverse disputings, uh, uh, corrupt minds, destitute truth. And notice this phrase, supposing that gain is godliness. Can I tell you something? That, that corrupt thinking is still alive and well today. I got I, I, a few points for you. Number one, uh, don't mistake gain for godliness. Don't mistake gain for godliness. If, 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 if material blessings, if material affluence is a sign of God's blessings, then Hugh Hefner is godly. And I don't think so. <laughs> now, now, material blessings, God may give material blessings, and, 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 and they are just that. They're blessings. They're gracious. God's goodness. He says, the Bible says, He daily loadeth us with benefits. There's a lot of good things that God enjoys doing for His children. But, but the mistake is when we equate gain with godliness. Don't mistake gain for godliness. Later, he says this in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen, somebody says, and, and by the way, uh, Luke 6, 38 is still true. A given it shall be given unto you, good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom for what, what Whatever measure you meet, God will meet with you in the same uh, fashion or to the, to the same degree. Uh, so give and it shall be given unto you. That is a Bible principle. Uh, uh, men shall give unto your bosom. God will bless you uh, as you give and you learn to give sacrificially. God will bless you. There's no doubt about that. But, 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 but financial gain itself does not equate to godliness. 
What if being godly means God wants you to be like Job and lose everything in one day? Godliness with contentment is great gain. People often speak to me and our, our society is plagued with anxiety. Our society is plagued with worry, fretfulness. Over and again, the Bible says, fret not, fret not. Philippians teaches this. He said, uh, 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 be careful. The word careful is like our word anxious, full of care. Be careful, full of care for nothing. But in everything by, listen to it, prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what's the result? And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep, guard your hearts, that's your emotional well-being, and minds, that's your mental well-being, by Christ Jesus. Man, our society is plagued with mental health issues, emotional issues. And, and that beautiful little passage in, in, in Philippians 4 gives you a beautiful formula. He said this, be careful, be anxious, be, uh, um, I'm sorry, gentlemen, I realize that. I need to turn a button on. Thank you. All right. All right, good. That beautiful passage in Philippians 4 teaches us when, some, when a care comes into your life, when something that can cause fear, something that can cause anxiety, what do you do? You take it to the Lord, number one, in prayer, and then supplication, then add to that thanksgiving. Prayer is letting your request be made known. Supplication is a pleading with God with a yielded heart. Supplication, you hear the word supple in the word supplication. Supple means moldable or pliable. So prayer is, God, this is what I need. Supplication is, God, please give that to me, but I want your will above my own. That's supplication. Supplication is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with such intensity that the capillaries in his brow literally burst and blood and sweat mingled together and he sweat as the Bible says as it were great drops of blood he's agonizing in prayer God if it be possible Father if it be possible let this cup pass from me say it if you know it nevertheless not my will but thine be done that's supplication so prayer, God, I need this and I want you, supplication, I want you to do it. God, you got to help me, please. God Almighty, but God, more than anything, I want your will to be done. And then with thanksgiving means that we conclude by saying, God, I've given my request, I've pleaded with you, I'm yielded to your will, and whatever you choose to do with my request, I will thank you for it. That's with thanksgiving. You see, God in his omniscience may say, you know what? I want to prosper you. I, 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 want, I want to bless you. And, and the Bible talks about in the Gospels the true riches. He says, let me watch the way you, you take care of, of, of the, the mammon of unrighteousness. He said, the, uh, uh, the mammon is a word for money. He said, let me, show, let me see how you handle your money. And he said, I'll choose whether to invest in you more with true riches. That's not a dollar bill. Hey, listen, a dollar bill can't buy peace. A dollar bill can't buy a good marriage. A dollar bill can't buy a, a child training and rearing a kids for the glory of God. A, a, a dollar bill can't, can't uh, buy a happy home. 
There are things more valuable than, than, than financial gain. There are things more valuable than more dollars in your pocket, more pieces of paper in the bank. God said this. He said, listen, don't you get the idea that I must be living godly because God's blessing me. Do you know that even an unsaved man can obey the principles of God's word and enjoy the blessing of those principles? An unsaved man. If he will follow. Spiritual principles are like physical principles. You know, if you, if you, uh, you want to fly, you need to consider the law of gravity. <laughs> you know, at least consider it. <laughs> You know, maybe you were the kid, you know, who got the big garbage can, uh, uh, the garbage bag, and, and cut it this way and that way and get, made it a tarp and put you some strings on it, went on top of the house, when your mama wasn't looking and jumped off with your parachute. And you learned something about gravity if you tried that. Uh, listen, God, the, the, the laws of, of spiritual laws, uh, uh, they, they, they work, <laughs> God made them, and just like the physical laws, uh, 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 God, God made those laws. Even, a, even an unsaved man, even an unsaved man can use, use the biblical principle of, of hard work and honesty and, 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 and kindness and, 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 and being straightforward and being generous. And guess what? He can enjoy the, 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 the reaping of that sowing, that biblical uh, that biblical uh, 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 principle, but that doesn't make him godly. Do you understand this? Godliness uh, is not equated with gain. So don't mistake gain for godliness. Let me give you another thought. Don't mistake worldly acceptance as godliness. Or by the way, don't accept uh, religious or ecclesiastical acceptance as godliness. We've been honoring these great men. And uh, I've told this recently, but this is that story of Lester Roloff. These great men of the past, Lester Roloff was uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor of a very successful church, and went on the radio and... Uh, 50,000 watt station in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he found out that the, there was a building owned by the Southern Baptist Convention and that there, a portion of that building was being rented out to a liquor store. Now, the, the, the convention owned the radio station that Brother Roloff was preaching on. And so he went on the radio station on his broadcast, the Family Altar Program, went on his broadcast and, uh, and preached against the convention leasing the portion of their building to a liquor store. I don't know why he got kicked off the radio station. <laughs> but these men, these men, these great men who were more loyal to truth than institutions. And may I say, dear friend, this principle's never been more needed in society than it's needed now. You need to be more loyal to truth than you are an institution. You need to be more loyal to truth than you are a political affiliation. You need to be more loyal to truth than you are a personality. Oh, I just like the way so-and-so preaches. I like the way so-and-so this. You need to be loyal to truth because truth never changes. 
And these great men of God that were loyal to truth, uh, guess what? They became ostracized by, by, by some of the uh, clergy, by some of the religious crowd. My pastor, Brother Hiles, uh, was once a Southern Baptist preacher and was approached by convention leaders and, and given a mandate. You either quit having Lester Roloff and John Rice and Lee Robertson in your pulpit or you're not going to be a part of our convention. He said, nobody's going to tell me who can preach or can't preach in my pulpit. I answer under the Lord Jesus Christ. Read your Bible, fellas. And they kicked him out of the convention. He didn't leave the Southern Baptist Convention. They kicked him out. Just like they kicked Lester Roloff out. You know why? Because these men were more loyal to truth than they were a crowd. Listen, listen, I'm saying this. Don't, you say, well, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm accepted among God's people. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not speaking against acceptance. It's wonderful to be accepted among uh, a Christian circles and among believers. But let me tell you something. When being accepted among believers requires compromise, don't mistake acceptance for godliness. We tried to keep liquor out of Ashboro. For years, Ashboro was the largest municipality in the United States of America, that was a dry town. And I remember standing in front of the city council with Mr. Cole Rojas on one side and her sister, her and her sister next to me and looking at her city council and saying, listen, and, and, I, and no disrespect to their mother, she's in heaven now, thank God. But I looked at our city council and I said, listen, these girls, and they, we were saved through our bus ministry and grew up here, of course, and and anyway, uh, they stood next to me, little, little junior age girls. And I said, these girls have the most relief when they live in Ashboro because their mom can't cash her check at the liquor store. I said, when they live other places in the county where she can't cash her check at the liquor store, then it's much worse for them. And I did what I could. In that time, I worked with several other prominent men in the city trying to keep liquor out of our out of our uh, city. And some of those were good men. I would call good men. I think men that love the Lord. and uh, But men with whom I could not agree doctrinally. In some areas. and uh, But I worked with those men to try to keep liquor out of our city. And, and uh, when I would go to those meetings. Sometimes some of those men would say. Hey why don't you come over and cooperate with us in this work. This uh, spiritual endeavor. And, um, and to me that was a, a line that I could not cross. And, uh, and I, I was very kind about it. I said, well, thank you, men. Thank you so much for inviting me. And, um, and then uh, we'd have another meeting organized, try to keep liquor out of the city. And then when we get done, different pastors said, well, we're having this over here. We're having this over here. What, could you come? And uh, Why don't you come? Why don't you bring your men over to this meeting? I said, oh, thank you so much, guys. You know, and, uh, uh, and, and I did that two or three times. And after several times, we had our meeting again. We worked together, tried to keep liquor out of the city. And uh, same thing happened again. And I was very kind. I said, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys inviting us. That's very kind of you. And one of the pastors said, no, no, no. You're not getting by with that this time. He said, I want to know why you always dodge our question. And I looked at him. And I said, I said, you know, you and I are friends. He said, yes, we are. I said, and I love you and I think you love me. He said, I do. And I said, you know, can I tell you why we feel close to one another? He said, what? why? I said, because we don't know each other very well. And I said, the truth is this. If you and I begin to cooperate like you want us to cooperate, I said, you'd get to know me better and I'd get to know you better. And I know we don't have the same doctrine. 
And one of two things would happen. One of us would be tempted to compromise our doctrine. Or number two, we'd get in a spat with each other. And we wouldn't like each other very much. And I said, why don't we just agree to love each other from a distance? And he said, hmm, I never thought about that. And they didn't invite me anymore. (laughs) I don't think I'm better than anybody on the face of the earth. But can I tell you something? Listen, I'm going to be true to this book right here. Let me tell you what's wrong with the ecumenical movement, which is the, the philosophy that says, oh, we just all need to come together. It, it, happens, it happens on a pretty regular basis. Well-meaning, good people. I don't mean to demean anybody if you're in this church this morning and you happen to have said this to me because there's probably some who have. But well-meaning come and say, oh, pastor, I tell you what we need to do. Uh, we need to get all the churches together. We need to get all the people together. We need to be united. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it sounds wonderful. Let me tell you something. What is wrong with the philosophy that says everybody needs to come together. We need to break down the denominational barriers. We need to break down the things that divide us. We need to find what's common among us. and We need to all come together as God's people. The problem with that is simply this, is when that happens, for that to be successful, you have to keep your mouth shut about certain things. If I went to such a meeting and stated my convictions and my Bible convictions about salvation, about eternal security, about women preachers, there ain't no such thing, and a, and a host of other things that are biblical, it wouldn't be kumbaya. It would get nasty real quick. And the problem with the ecumenical, oh, it sounds so wonderful. But the problem with it is not what is being said. Because I would venture to say 99.9% of what's said in an ecumenical setting by Orthodox Christians is true. The problem is not what's being said. The problem is what's being left out. It's what's not being said. How in the world could could we live in a society right now where people are alive who don't even believe the Holocaust happened? How could we live in a society? We have a society that's not being taught the history of our nation. And we're in trouble because we don't know where we came from. The problem is not what's being said. It's what's not being said. Listen, you stand up and you thunder out the truth and you're more loyal to truth. Guess what? You're going to make some waves. You're going to make some enemies. And by the way, you ought to find, if it's not this church, you ought to find you a church that feeds you and helps your family and makes you real uncomfortable occasionally. Because truth hurts. Amen. Number three. I said, number one, don't mistake gain for godliness. Number two, don't mistake worldly or ecclesiastical separation as godliness. Number three, don't mistake grace as godliness. And in my notes, I have grace in quotations. Take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter number two. You're in 1 Timothy, just going over a few pages to Titus chapter two. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness 
and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So what does this grace teach us to do? Grace, verse 11, teaches us, verse 12, to deny ungodliness, deny worldly lusts, to live soberly, to live righteously, to live godly in this present world. We have come to a place in Christendom, and especially in our nation we see it, where there is this philosophy that grace equals godliness. That because I'm gracious, because I'm kind, because I'm accepting, because I'm not judgmental, because I just accept all people, and, 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 and I, that, that makes me godly. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Grace teaches us to deny uh, uh, worldly lusts. I read, I read to you from Galatians and chapter number 5 where the Bible says, uh, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, freedom. You've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Yes, we have liberty in Christ. We have liberty of conscience. Yes, we, we, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we respond to the Holy Spirit and, and we believe uh, at the biblical truth of individual soul liberty. That's why, no, no that's why, listen, that's why uh, uh, the, 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 the government, the Supreme Court does not have a right to dictate somebody to participate in a so-called mockery of marriage, in a ceremony where two queers want to act like they're getting married, you might be getting married in the eyes of the law, but you're not getting married in the eyes of God Almighty. If a man who's got a cake shop doesn't want to bake a cake for that perversion, if a man who makes the flowers doesn't want to make some flowers for that perversion, he has a right of conscience before God not to do that which would prick his own conscience. That's Bible. These little society believes. Well, let me tell you something. Society's going to answer to God. God doesn't answer to society. And when we get to this place, we say, well, you fundamental Christians, you're just so judgmental. You're just so judgmental. You just, you just, uh, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, against everything. Bill Rice was a, an evangelist, and we're honoring his brother, Dr. John Rice, here this year, but... They're both those great, great men of God, greatly used of God. And Bill Rice preached a, a revival meeting. And man, he just preached against everything. I mean, preached against a liquor crowd, preached against tobacco, preached against dance. I mean, he just tore it up. And, and a lady came up to him after the service and she said, she said, you know, you, some of you preachers, you're so negative. You're just against everything. That's all you preach about. By the way, when you say that's all the preacher talks about, do you know what the subject matter is? Where you're disobedient. That's all you hear. It could be one word in the sermon, but that's all you hear. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit says, hey, pay attention right there. Anyway, that was free. But, but he said, ma'am, he said, you're right. You're right. I was negative. He said, come back tonight 
And I promise you, I'll preach a positive message. She, came, she couldn't believe it. She came back that night. Dr. Bill Rice said, Tonight, I want to preach to you why I'm positively against the liquor traffic. And why I'm positively against... Went right back down the same line. Amen. Now, can I, can I tell you something? This idea, oh, we, we're enlightened now. We used to be separated from the world. And we used to sing hymns. Uh, but now, uh, now, we, uh, now we worship. And uh, we... Why? We discovered grace. Grace, friend, teaches you to deny worldly lusts. Lady asked me in the office the other day. She said, Pastor, how do I know? She listened to a little bit of the music she likes. And she said, you know, how do I know? Is that all right for me to listen to? I said, if you're not sure about your music, here's what you do. Get a three-year-old. And turn your music on as loud as you can and put the three-year-old in front of the speaker and just watch what they do. And if you say, you know, those movements probably wouldn't be the way we ought to move in church. Then that tells you something about your music. It speaks more to the flesh than it does to the spirit. And this idea that you can take what is in the, the, the liquor halls and in the honky-tonks, and bring it into God's house, and throw Jesus' name in there a few times, and somehow it's sanctified. You, Friend, let me tell you something. You're not enlightened. You say, well, we believe in grace. You have a perversion of grace. That's not grace. He said, we believe in liberty. No, you have a perversion of liberty. Liberty, the Bible says, you don't take your liberty and make it an occasion for the flesh. To, 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 you're supposed to deny fleshly lust. You're supposed to deny worldly lust. And that's the teaching of grace. I said, don't mistake gain for godliness. Don't mistake uh, 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 acceptance for godliness. Don't mistake grace for godliness. Let me give you one more. Don't mistake nostalgia for godliness. Don't mistake nostalgia for godliness. You know what that is? That's that warm, fuzzy feeling that you feel when you look back over your life and say, you know what, we, you know what, we always, I mean, it was so awesome as a kid. We always, you know, we always went to the lake in the summer on Sunday and we cooked hot dogs and hamburgers and we fish. We just had a good, it was a great family time. And you know, it's just, I want my kids to have what I have. I mean, you know, we go out there, we worship God. I don't know how many people I've heard, you know, I just feel closer to God when I'm on my boat. It just disgusted me when they started letting us hunt on Sunday. But since they let us, you know, of course, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but this Sunday's just minimized the world, the world. How many of you remember Blue Laws? How many remember Blue Laws? Sunday's just another day. You know, football didn't used to be on Sunday. You remember that? Didn't used to be. Everything's on Sunday now. We were at uh, Caleb's uh, wedding 
at Melody's wedding several years back. We stayed in a hotel there. And there was a soccer tournament in town. In town. And, um, and I remember going down on Sunday morning, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm usually in a hotel lobby on Sunday morning, but I had gone there and stayed, uh, did part of the funeral, uh, excuse me, part of the funeral. <laughs> uh, <laughs> part of the wedding on Saturday. And then stayed over and preached on Sunday. But anyway, and so we walked through the hotel lobby, you know, um, 9.30, 9.45 on Sunday morning. It was filled with people. And I, I remember thinking, what? what? Don't, it, don't y'all know it's Sunday? But, you know, it didn't used to be, not too many years ago, it didn't used to be that way in our country. People respected the first day of the week is a time where people go and worship their God. Can I tell you something? Don't let the emotional attachments that you have keep you from truth. Human nature tends to equate religious tradition with a feeling of being close to God. You know, my family, we always... We always, whatever your tradition was, we always did this, you know. All of our babies were baptized. They were sprinkled, you know, everybody in my family. And, and, and I'm not saying all this is wrong, okay. Baptizing babies is dead wrong. It's not biblical. But anyway, and I, 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 I went to the this and that. And I'm a godfather. I'm a godmother. And, uh, and uh, this and that. And we did this. And we always had a meal together. And we always did this. And all of our babies, you know, we did this. And when our kids got this age, we always had them go through this. I'm saying every one of those things that you did as a family is wrong. But listen, don't equate that feeling of, well, we always had the family did this. It's the same feeling you get you know, from the family meal. The same feeling you get from we always open our presents together as a family on Christmas morning. Don't, don't attach that nostalgia to some religious traditions and think and equate that with godliness. Don't do that. Somebody says, well, we're fourth generation members of a, this such and such liberal denomination. Well, can I tell you about your liberal denomination? If you're a fourth generation of that liberal denomination, your denomination died when your great-grandma died. So basically what you have inherited is death. You've, you've inherited death. And if you attach yourself to death, that death is going, to, is going to be passed on to your children. What you need is living truth. That's what you need. And that goes back to the principle of being more loyal to truth than to a, an institution or personality or to a denomination. In Acts 14, uh, 8 through 19, Paul uh, uh, found himself as an object of worship. And the people said, you know, by their tradition, they said, that God's going to come. And, and, and Paul and his, and, and, his, and, and his helper, they fit the description. They said, oh, you must be, you're like a God come from heaven. And they, they want to worship Paul. Paul's like, wait a minute, I'm not a God, don't worship me. Oh, but by our tradition, the man's supposed to come and this and that. And you look like you fit tradition. Oh, and they're bringing him presents, you know, feeding him till he's stuffed like a pig. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm not a God. And they say, hey, you're not a God. You're not a God. Then they wanted to stone him. He should have stayed to God. <laughs> you see, we, 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 when we attach our loyalty to religious tradition, we get ourselves in trouble. 
The Gadarenes, think about them, the man that was uh, 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 possessed with devils and lived in the cemetery and ran around naked and, 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 and cut himself. They saw a miracle when Jesus came and, and delivered that man and, and cast out those demons. And those demons went to a big herd of swine and the swine went off a cliff and were drowned. And, and this man was delivered and soon after he was clothed and, and sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. Here's a man that was mad. He was crazy. He was demon possessed. And he was delivered. But those sad folks of the gatherings, they said, we're not used to this kind of religion. Leave our coast. Can you imagine Jesus coming in and a great revival happens and people are healed and a man possessed with devils is delivered. And people say, we're not used to that. We're not used to that. I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from, but I can promise you this. Just about every Sunday, there's somebody sitting in a church service like this, and they say, man, I'm not used to all that yelling. One little kid, one little kid's coming in church. True story. I asked his mom and said, is he going to yell at us again today? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and I'm not used to this. You know, we always got out right at noon. Here's the sad truth. Listen to me very carefully. This is an important statement. The sad truth is this. We want to feel close to God rather than be close to God. We want to feel close to God rather than be close to God. And so we equate the nostalgia, the feelings, the love of tradition, the family ties, that, that religion or that denomination... Or those, or those traditions that brought us together and then we had this fuzzy feeling inside and we equate that to godliness. But i got news for you. Religious tradition is not godliness. Nostalgia is not godliness. Well, we always had our kids. That's not godliness. Godliness is defined in this book right here. Godliness is denying worldly lust and, and living as God lived. Don't dishonor the Lord by trying... Listen, to this. this is such an important statement. Please, please take this... With grace, don't dishonor the Lord in an attempt to keep peace with those you love. Don't dishonor the Lord in an attempt to keep peace with those that you love. The Lord told us in the Gospel of Luke, He said this, He said, if you don't, in Luke 14, 25 to 33, and I have time to read it for you, but He said this, if, if your love for me your love for me, and he uses a, uh, he uses a word to compare. He said, if, if your love for me doesn't make your love for your dad and your mom and your children and your brothers and your sister, if your love for me doesn't make your love for those closest to you look like hate, you can't be my disciple. To be a true disciple, follower, disciplined follower of Jesus Christ means that I have to love Him so much, love His truth so much that what I, the next greatest love of my life looks like hate in comparison to my love for Christ. Many, many people who are growing in the Lord, listen carefully, if this has not happened to you yet and you're growing in the Lord, listen to your pastor, it is going to happen to you. And here's what it is. It's when those who love you the most in this world and those whom you love who do not have the same love and loyalty to truth that you are growing in your heart and mind become concerned for you that you're taking this thing a little too far. And you will be tempted then 
to dishonor the Lord to try to keep peace with those you love. There was a time my wife made some clear decisions about she was going to, how she was going to dress. She was dressed like a lady. She had an extended family member who had been taught the same truths and decided not to do it. That's her business. She do whatever she wants to do. By the way, <laughs> if that's true, then it ought to be true for others. Those who want to do what's right, as they understand the Bible, it, can they not just do it? <laughs> anyway, but this extended family member give her a hard time. And in one particular case, she says, you don't have to dress like that. You're not at Bible college right now. And she said, I'm not dressing this way because I'm in Bible college. I'm dressing this way because I want to, because I believe it's right. Parents, I challenge you to live and rear your children in such a way that in years to come, your detractors can see the fruit of your convictions in your children and your grandchildren. And think, or maybe even say out loud, you know, I wish I'd have done some of the things you did with your kids. I wish we'd have stayed in church like you did. I wish we'd have been there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night like you were. I wish we'd embraced biblical separation and been soul winners and tithed and given sacrificially and read the Bible as a family and prayed together as a family. I wish, I wish, I wish. Now listen, right now there might be some, what are you doing? You take this thing a little too far and you might have some detractors in your life. I'm in no way suggesting that you ought to be condescending. I'm in no way suggesting that you and I are better than anyone. But I am saying that godliness is not acceptance with the world. Godliness is not a cozy feeling with family. Godliness is saying, I love this book and I love of my Lord and I'm going to be loyal to him more than anybody else on the face of this earth I remember when that lady right there in the second row her mother who loves us and loves and loves this church and many years ago we left a full ride scholarship to the University of Tennessee to be dropped off at Bible College and Mrs. Hamilton when her mother dropped her off she left that, she left that opportunity. Which by the way, some of you are chasing. Help me now, and I don't understand why you're chasing it. Don't you give up something godly to chase anyway, let me, let me get off that. But she left that opportunity because she knew that God had called her to serve the Lord. And she said yes to that. And when her mother dropped her off in front of Bible college. Her mother looked at her and said, I feel like I'm going to your funeral. How's it like to, to walk up to an unknown campus with that ain't ringing in your mind? Let me tell you something. You know who her, her biggest fan is now? Her mama. Miss Sandra loves this. And by the way, she was absolutely sincere, loved the Lord at that time, loved the Lord, very, very sincere. She did not see what God was doing in her daughter's heart, but she sees it now. She sees it now. Don't try to honor your loved one's memory in heaven by being dishonorable on earth. Don't try to do that. If you want to honor your loved ones in heaven, why don't you do on earth the things that cause them to rejoice in heaven? And that is, there's joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repenteth. You want to do something to honor your loved ones that are in heaven. By the way, you say, well, my grandmother, she always believed that. She, she believed that to go to heaven, you had to uh, get baptized in this church and go through this. Or my grandmother believed this. Listen, your grandmother, I, I won't take anything away from your grandmother. 
But if your grandmother's in heaven, she wants you to be in heaven. But if she's not in heaven, she absolutely for sure doesn't want you to join her where she is. I'm not your grandmother's judge, but don't you stay attached to some religious system just because of a familial uh, uh, nostalgia, some some family uh, 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 fuzzy feelings inside. What you better do is say, God, what is truth? What is true? What is right? What is wrong? And I want to be loyal to truth. Mistaken godliness. Let's bow our heads together, shall we?